Welcome. No kid zone today, but if you have kids in the uh, nursery, three to four-year-olds who are still in here, you can uh, take them back to the nursery now. Uh, we are, with us having communion, kid zone is staying in. The kids who are normally in kid zone will be staying in here. Uh, and then we actually also, uh, before we take communion at the end of the service, we will be having parents who have children in the nursery to go pick your kids up. And so I'll announce that at the end, but you'll go pick your children up from the nursery and bring them back in. Communion intended to be the body together, and so we want the whole body to be able to be in here uh, for that, and we don't want our nursery workers to miss out for that. Uh, So um, we'll make plans for that after the service. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Last week we looked at the first four verses of Philippians 2, and it was called Gospel Unity. And so what we looked at with this call for Gospel Unity, uh, Paul asking the believers to live in unity by considering others more important than themselves, by considering their needs, their interests, what was best for them, Uh, and to humble themselves and care more about others. And so we saw that call, humbly caring for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And humility is something that we desperately need in our lives. It's not natural to us in our fallen state. Uh, We desperately need it. The English minister Martin Lloyd-Jones was asked by a uh, close friend about humility, about how to humble himself. He knew that pride was an issue, uh, and he knew that he needed to do something about it, but he, he wanted some steps of what can I do to fix this problem of pride in my life. And so he asked, how can I be humble? And listen to Martin Lloyd-Jones' response. I have no method or technique I can't tell you to get down on your knees and believe in prayer because I know that you will soon be proud of that. There's only one way to be humble, and that's to look at the face of Jesus Christ. You cannot be anything else when you see him. And he goes on to write these words about that discussion that he had with his friends. And he says, that's the only way. Humility is not something that you can create within yourself. Rather, you look at Him, you look at Jesus, and you realize who He is and what He's done, and you are humbled. Last week we saw the church being called to humbly caring for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And today, as we continue on in Philippians 2, we're going to do just what Martin Lloyd-Jones suggested you do as you pursue humility in your life. And that is, we're going to look at Jesus. Because that's where Paul takes us. He says, here's your example for that. Here's the perfect example of humility. It's in our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. And so my sermon is titled, What a Savior. And that's what we're going to look at today in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. What a Savior we have. I'm going to read the passage for us, and then I'm going to pray as we get ready to to look at God's Word here. Philippians 2, starting in verse 5. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus 
who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted, his, highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. God, your word is so good, and this passage is so beautiful, reminding us of our precious Savior. Help us believe it. Help us be changed by it, Holy Spirit. For your glory, God, it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. This beautiful passage is known as the Christ Hymn, or the Hymn to Christ. Scholars believe that uh, there's a good chance that this passage was a song or a liturgical poem that the first century church used. Before Paul wrote the words down, this was a poem that the church used to teach one another about Jesus about our beautiful and precious Savior. And so Paul, when he's reflecting on Jesus and he's wanting them to follow him in the perfect example of humility, he uses these words to say, look at him. Look at our Savior. And so as we work our way through the text, uh, we're going to see a couple of things about Jesus, who he is, what he did, and the position that he is in. The first thing that we're going to see is Jesus' humility. In verses 5 through 8, we see Jesus' humility. I'm going to read that again. Philippians 2, starting in verse 5, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he, when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Jesus' humility on display here. And so in verse 5, Paul says, as he has called them to pursue humility as they care more about their brothers and sisters in Christ than themselves, he says, look at Jesus. Look at how Jesus lived. Look at the way Jesus served you. And I want you to adopt the same attitude of Jesus Christ. Caring more about others than yourself. Adopt the same attitude of Jesus. And then verse 6 goes on to describe who Jesus is. Existing in the form of God. Jesus existed in the form of God before he came as a man. This is God the Son. When we speak of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Jesus eternally existed with the Father and the Spirit. This is God the Son. 
The word form there is morphe in Greek. And it means like the same essence and nature as something else. Jesus is the same essence and nature of God. He is God the Son. However, he did not consider that. Verse 6 goes on to say he didn't consider the equality that he had with the Father and with the Spirit. He did not consider that as something as he should exploit for his own good or use for his own benefit. He was willing to do what was necessary for the good of others, for the good of you and for the good of me. The, the word for exploited could be translated. Some of your translations may say he didn't view it as something to be grasped or to be held onto and refusing to let go of. And verse 7 tells us what he did instead. Being in the equal with God, in the same form of God as God the Son, instead of grasping that and clinging to that which he deserved... He emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. He emptied himself. Now, the wording there has caused some people to misunderstand what Paul's talking about. This does not mean that he gave up his divinity. He was always and is always God the Son. He did not lose his divinity, his divine nature when he came as a man. So don't take that that he emptied himself, meaning he gave up being God the Son. He was always God the Son. What this means is he was, it's really talking about what he gave up as far as his position and the prestige that came along with that. So he didn't lose being the Son of God, but he gave up or emptied himself of the prestige that he had as God the Son. And so Augustine words it this way, emptied himself is not by losing what he was, but by taking to him what he was not. So by adding to himself humanity, coming as a man, and the limitations that come with being fully man then he emptied himself of the prestige that he had and the prestige that he deserved. And then on top of that, he didn't come as a glorious man. He didn't come as a a king to be bowed down to. He will one day. He didn't come in the first advent as this glorious ruler. He came as a servant. He came as a servant for our good. He took on humanity. The word for servant means, it really is the word for slave. So consider this. The divine Son of God, who eternally existed with the Father and the Spirit, He's in the highest position, and He came in the lowest position. He came as a slave for your good, for my good. And when he came as a man, verse 8 goes on, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. It's important that we remember that death is what we have earned because of our sin, right? The wages of sin is death. 
But Jesus Christ never sinned. He never did anything that would earn death. And so he then humbles himself even more by taking something that he did not deserve. He did not deserve. He had not earned death because he never sinned. And yet he was willing to do that for us so that we could have life. He submitted to God and was obedient to the will of the Father to the point of dying. And then Paul goes on. But not just dying the nice peaceful death that we kind of hope for, right? We hope for the closing our eyes and then just drifting off and it's nice and peaceful. Uh, he didn't submit himself to that kind of death. He submitted himself to the most horrific kind of death to demonstrate how much he loves us. He submitted himself to death on a cross. This is the kind of death that the Roman world would not allow their own citizens to be executed by. Even the worst criminal in Rome, the most horrific acts in their life, would earn crucifixion because it was such a horrific Death. They saved it for foreigners. And Jesus took the most horrific death that he had not deserved, that he had never earned, so that we could have life. Humility over and over and over again. Not grasping his position and prestige. Coming as a slave submitting to the Father's will and dying, and dying in the most horrific way to demonstrate how much God actually loves us. Paul's holding this out and saying, look at Jesus. Look at our precious Savior. Look at what He did for you. And so when He's calling the church, when He's calling the Philippians and we are being called to, by the Spirit, to humbly care more about others and their needs and their interests. Paul's saying, that's what Jesus did for you. And so you can do the same thing. Because of Him, you can humbly care more about others than yourself. So the first point from this text is this. Jesus is the perfect example of humility that should be followed. Jesus is the perfect example of humility to be followed. His humility was for our good. It wasn't so people would look at him and say, man, he sure was humble. This was literally serving us, doing what was necessary to rescue us because there was nothing that we could do to rescue ourselves. The eternal Son of God gave up that prestige, took on humanity, came as a slave, and then died the most horrific death for us because he loved us and gave himself for us. So his humility is the perfect example that we should follow. He served others. We see that throughout his ministry, right? And he says in his ministry that he didn't come to be served. He came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. We see one of the most beautiful images of him serving people in John 13. The night that he is betrayed. Let's 
And as they recline at the table, John 13, starting in verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands and that he had come from God and he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water in to a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel tied around him. That's the, the role of a servant. A servant would do that job. And here's the divine Son of God humbling himself and washing the disciples' feet because that's what his life and that's what his ministry was. And the ultimate example of that, of course, is in his death for us because he didn't deserve it. And yet he died serving us so that we could live. So for us this week, the challenge comes with what verse 5 calls us to. The challenge for us is we must follow the example of humility. We must follow Jesus' example of humility and caring for others. Let's look at Philippians 2, 3 through 4 we looked at last week. I'm going to read that with verse 5 that we looked at this week. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. And verse 5, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. So this week, let's remember what Jesus Christ did for us. Let's remember the humility, the supreme example of humility that he demonstrated for our good. And let's pray that God would change our hearts because we need God to. We can't do it on our own. Pray that God would change our hearts so that we would truly start to humbly serve one another and care more about others than ourselves. The next section in Philippians 2, we're going to see Jesus' exaltation. Uh, he humbled himself in the most supreme way, and now we're going to see the Father exalting him to the highest position. Philippians 2, verse 9, For this reason God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In response to the Son's humility, the Father is going to exalt Him to, or has exalted Him to, the highest position the word for highly exalted there is actually, it's a word that's not used anywhere in the New Testament other than here. Uh, and it really could be translated super exalted, which doesn't sound as good as highly exalted. But it, he has super exalted Jesus because of his supreme act of humility. He is now exalted to the highest position which he deserved. He was super exalted. And then in verse 10, 
He goes on, because of this exaltation, the Father is giving him the position where he will finally be praised, finally finally be worshipped for who he is. And we see in verse 10, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every single knee will bow to Jesus. And just for clarification, he goes on to say, every knee in heaven Every knee on earth, every knee under the earth, just to make it clear, every single knee, not just the people who trust in him for salvation now, every knee will bow one day in the presence of Jesus Christ. Those who have come to him in faith now have the joy of getting to do that while we live the joy of bowing and confessing Him as Lord, praising Him and worshiping Him as Lord, but every single knee will bow one day. Even the ones who have not confessed Him, they will bow in His presence before they face eternal judgment. And then, verse 11, every tongue will confess Every single tongue will say, Jesus Christ is Lord. And so when Paul says that the Father has given Jesus the name that is above every name, he's not talking about the name Jesus, he's talking about the name of God, Lord. Lord is the Greek translation of Yahweh. Every tongue will confess, Jesus Christ is Lord. He is finally deserving the praise that he deserved. He's getting the praise and the worship and the recognition. Jesus is Lord. He's exactly who he said he was. He's Lord. Every tongue will confess. And then it ends saying, this is how the Father will Receive glory. God the Father will be glorified when people finally recognize, when all of creation finally recognizes and confesses Jesus as Lord. The end of verse 7 says, to the glory of God the Father. The Father will be glorified when this happens. So, the second point from this text today is this. Jesus deserves and will receive all praise. Jesus deserves and will receive all praise because of what he did. What we saw in verses 6 through 8, this extreme act of humility, who he is, and the humility that he exhibited for our good, Jesus deserves and will receive all praise. Now Jesus taught in his ministry that if you exalt yourself, you will be humbled, but if you humble yourself, you will be exalted. So what the Father has done, falls right in line with what Jesus taught, the principle of what Jesus taught about showing humility. Because He showed the supreme act of humility, He has been exalted to the most supreme status. And then we see this beautiful, beautiful scene in the throne room of God. Revelation 5 Verses 12 and 13, they said with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered 
to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, on the sea, and everything in them say, blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb, to Jesus Christ. Jesus will receive all praise. He deserves all praise because of who He is and because of what He did for us. He deserves all praise. So for us, let's commit to a life of all-filled worship of Jesus Christ because of who He is and because, he, because of what He did for us. Let's live a life of all filled worship. It's important that we don't think of worship just as a song, right? We we often tie that together when, because we think of praise and worship. Worship is truly any act that you do to glorify God. So everything that we say, every action that we live out in our lives can be an act of worship to God. And so let's live lives that are in awe of Jesus Christ, that He would love us this much. And let our lives be lives of worship, all-filled worship. Because He is such a precious, wonderful Savior. Nathan asked about your homework last week earlier. I have more. I want to challenge us with something. And I'm challenging myself with this as well with a discipline that we encourage in children often and we put aside when we become adults. I'm confessing this also for for myself. Uh, I would like to challenge us to memorize this passage this week. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Read it and memorize this beautiful passage about our precious Savior Jesus. It is such a wonderful reminder of who Jesus is, what He did for us, and the praise that He deserves. And so I want to challenge us. Join me in this. I haven't memorized this yet, so I'm going to be joining you in this, memorizing these verses. And then I want us to, as we reflect on that, as we try to remember this in our minds and in our hearts, let us reflect on that and say, okay, God, I need to be changed because of this. Because of my Savior, I need you to change me so that I will humbly care more about others than myself. And I need you to change me so that I will start to live every action as an act of worship to Jesus Christ because he deserves it. So join me, please, in memorizing Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Today we have seen a beautiful reminder of our precious Savior. And if you have not trusted in Him for salvation, I want you to know that these words, this story is true. We have all sinned against God. And in order to rescue us, in order to save us, the divine Son of God humbled Himself came as a man, as a slave, as a servant for your good and died for our sins so that if we would just come to him in faith 
and believe in him, we would be forgiven and we would have life and hope. And so if you have not trusted in him today, we urge you to believe this message about Jesus. And if you want to know more about what it means to put your faith in Christ, I I would love to talk with you. You can catch me after the service. If you want to schedule a private time to meet with me, you can fill out one of the yellow cards on the back of the seats and just put on there your name and contact information and that you want to schedule a time to talk with the pastor. And I would have no greater joy than to share with you the good news of the gospel about Jesus dying for our sins and the hope that we have. Church, Believers, what a Savior. What a Savior that we have. Jesus truly is magnificent. And so as we've been reminded of his humility today and the depth of his love for us, let us follow in his example of humility that's intended to care for the needs of others. Let us live lives that are lives of awe-filled worship for the Savior because He deserves it. He deserves all praise and glory and honor. He deserves it. And we can live lives like that because of Him and because of what He has done. Let's pray. God, You are so good. And your love is so amazing. We thank you for your grace and mercy. Jesus, we thank you for your obedience, your humility, and all that you endured so that we could have life. Holy Spirit, change us because of Jesus. Because of who he is and what he's done, change us and then use us for your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you have kids in the, if you have children in the nursery, we would ask that you pick them up now. Uh, and we've got the uh, worship team coming up. They're going to lead us in a song as a way to prepare our hearts and our minds as we get ready to receive the uh, communion elements here in just a little bit. So let's prepare to sing to our precious Savior. Thank you, Pastor, for that message. Um, what a countercultural way to live, to be a servant instead of uh, trying to exalt ourselves and put ourselves first. Uh, we're going to sing a song called Hallelujah, What a Savior. Um, sing along with us. If um, It's a kind of a new song for most of us. Uh, or just read or pray or read the words read the words or or pray um, however you feel like God's leading you during this song
As we get ready to take communion together, if you did not pick up the communion cups that were at the back table, you can do that now. We invite all baptized believers to join us in this communion celebration. If you've not trusted in Christ for salvation, we would ask that instead of taking these elements that are intended as a reminder for the church... Uh, We are asking that instead of taking these, that you would spend some time contemplating the words that you heard today about the Son of God and what He did for you. Uh, And the words that you're going to hear uh, about the forgiveness and the hope and the salvation that we have. And then please, I urge you, speak with me, speak with one of the elders about salvation if uh, if you have not trusted in Him yet. The Lord, in His kindness towards us, gave us this beautiful reminder of communion which we desperately need. We need to regularly be reminded, consistently reminded, of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, of what He did for us. And so as we read this passage and examine this passage from Philippians 2 today, I thought this is the perfect time for us to pause as a body of believers and take communion together. Now we often speak of communion as uh, that we're going to celebrate communion. And that may seem like an odd choice of words because we are uh, reminding ourselves of the death of Jesus. And so the word celebration may seem odd, But as we take the bread, we're reminded of his body. And as we take the juice, we're reminded of his blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And because of that, we have reason to celebrate. It's because of his sacrifice that we have life. It's because of his sacrifice that we have forgiveness and hope. So when we speak of celebrating communion, we're celebrating Jesus and what he did for us. So as we prepare to receive the bread and the cup, I'm going to pray for us and then read a passage and then we'll take the elements together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reminder. We thank you that you have given communion to the church as a physical reminder that we can participate in to remember our precious Savior, Jesus. As we take these elements, God, we confess that it's because of our sins that He had to die. God, we thank You for the forgiveness that we've received through faith. Jesus, we thank You for being obedient to the point of death on a cross for us. Holy Spirit, we thank You for opening our eyes and causing us to believe. God, we pray now that through this time of communion that we will be amazed again at the grace and mercy that's been poured out on us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In just a second, we'll take the bread first and then the juice. I'm going to first read the passage from Matthew 26. Verses 26 through 28. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave to the disciples and said, Take and eat. 
It is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So taking the bread, the body of Christ given for you, And taking the cup.